If you believe that there is a pending climate crisis and you do not believe in nuclear energy technology, you are anti-human. And I no longer know how to relate to you on the merits. Hello there. How are you all? How was your weekend? You know what, mine's pretty relaxed. I've been taking some time with the family before I head out to New York. Also, I've been trying to get my head around all this ordinal stuff. Going to be having to make a show about that soon. Get into that. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Do podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today on the show, I've got the legend that is Harry Suddock back. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we've been running a bit of a test on the show. Every now and again, we make shows which aren't directly Bitcoin related. Like, they might be about energy, or they might be about governance, and they've got that kind of, like, tangential link to Bitcoin, but they aren't Bitcoin shows. And so I said to Danny recently, let's bunch them all together, and let's see what happens. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. They seem to be some of the most popular shows I've made with the people who like them, I mean, the Anthony Jarrett show, I've had so many emails about. But at the same time, I've seen people like in the YouTube comments or I've received a couple of emails where people have said, "Uh, this is a Bitcoin show and you're not talking about Bitcoin. So I think the answer to this is is that we need to keep making Bitcoin shows, but also make these other shows and just kind of splice them in there. So anyway, on to today's show. It is Harry. It is the legend that is Harry Suddock. Now, we kind of kick this off not really talking about Bitcoin. We talk about podcasts and books and kind of more of a general chat, but we agreed within this when we're in New York, we're going to make another show. We're going to do a Bitcoin book club where Harry, Danny, and I will be talking shit to each other and discussing the books Hail Mary and The Three-Body Problem. I don't know if this will be a regular thing. I don't know if people are like it or not, but we're going to make it anyway. So yeah, let's see what, let's see what comes of that. Now, in this episode, Harry brings the heat as he always does, and we got into surviving the bear market how you think about and how you kind of evolve your explanation of what Bitcoin is to people. And yeah, I mean, look, it's Harry Suddock. He brings the fire. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be heading out to New York soon, going to be hosting a couple of events on Valentine's Day for the losers, or maybe the legends who don't have someone to go and have dinner with. We're going to be hosting a live stream of the Royal Bedford game at PubKey. Please come and join us. That's the 14th of February. I think kickoff is 2.45pm, but get down there early. Secondly, we're going to be hosting our second ever WBD Live. This is going to be an intimate live show with Jun Seth, also at PubKey on Thursday the 16th. Tickets will be announced for that very soon. There'll be a Q&A afterwards, drinks and everything. So hopefully some of you can come and join us for that. Now, if you've got any questions about this show or anything else, please do drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Or you can jump into our Patreon and join the Discord server. That is patreon.com forward slash whatbitcoindid. I'm finding myself having pretty broad podcast fatigue. Um, and I'm, I'm attributing it, you know, it could, it could be a, a macro bear market symptom. It could be a Spotify platform discovery problem, which, which is kind of my, what I think is most likely. But I'm not I'm not getting content that is exciting via podcast other than what Bitcoin did. And, and I'm finding it also within the episodes as well. Like I'm turning, I'm turning episodes off of stuff. I'm getting 15, 20 minutes in and I'm saying like the next 90 minutes aren't happening. Like I'd rather read a book. I'd rather get back to work. I'd rather like do anything um, other than consume you know, somebody else's macro perspective around when inflation is going to have peaked. You know, it just like, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> uh, okay. That, that gives me a couple of questions. Like, firstly, is that a, like in life thing, are you in a different mindset at the moment? Cause it's January. You're like generally just a bit like our industry's been tough and you're just like, uh, there's a lack of patience 
or do you think it's just nobody's given you something new or interesting? Um, I th- I think uh, I think some of it is just like a lot of the weekly shows that I listen to, or like the kind of the the regular cadence stuff, just isn't hitting. Right. Like I don't find people have to have like particularly exciting opinions about the world right now. You know, I you know I feel like you know Bitcoin Twitter has been kind of getting to like the the uh, like capital R right answer faster than sort of the the media digestive tract. Um, and so like I'm getting in ten tweets what it used to be like a ninety minute podcast, and I just like. I don't have the patience for them to like work through the mental hoops that it feels like Bitcoiners have already been through, you know, 11 days ago on Twitter. Yeah, I'm, I don't I don't actually have the time to listen to that many podcasts. I think it's one of those weird things. When you make a podcast, you don't really listen to a lot. It's like if you, if you're com, if you fix computers, you don't want to go around and fix someone else's computer. Uh, and, you know, we're either traveling mm-hmm. or I'm back at home working on the club. So I don't have that much time. I kind of, I mean, I think it's pretty well known. My go-to is Joe Rogan, but just because I think he his discovery of interesting people. But even with that, I've had some fatigue. But he's had some really good ones recently. He interviewed this bee lady. You, you ever seen this lady? She's on like TikTok or Instagram. She goes to like houses where somebody's they've got a bee infestation, and she'll take down part of the roof, and there's like a whole uh, nest there, and then she explains it, removes it. Uh, she's actually in Austin, but like the whole interview is incredible. Wow. It was just, I totally didn't expect it. Didn't know what it was going to be about. And I learned something new. Mm-hmm. I think his discovery has been good, but also at the same time, I get the fatigue because I don't want to listen to people who I think might be full of shit. And so for example, he had that Peter Zahan on. Yeah. And I was like, I was really excited to listen to that. I'd heard a lot of good things about him. I don't know him that well. And the only thing I see get shared out on Twitter is his opinions on Bitcoin. And he's, yeah, he's pretty steadfast in his opinions. You know, it's down to 16,000. It's only got another 17,000 to go. It's going to go negative. <laughs> you know, it can't be money. Like, it's just spitting out the same fun. I'm like, well, if I can't trust you on this, how can I trust you on other stuff? And I'm not sure if I want to listen to you. So this is a, and, and you know, forgive me for bringing up the the um, persona non grata in Nassim Taleb, but, um, but he has sort of the most brilliant, Um, passage on this, which is, you know, think about the thing, and this is for everybody listening, think about the thing that you know best, right? So think, you know, whatever industry that may be. Now think about how your peer group of experts thinks about how the media reports on the thing you know best. It's garbage, right? You know, the people who report on your industry know far less than you do. And so you laugh at sort of their juvenile takes or their juvenile uh, analysis or or whatever. You know, we in Bitcoin know this overwhelmingly well. The media is terrible at reporting on Bitcoin other than a few, you know, shining examples of great great quality work. Um, Should we give anyone a shout out? uh, Kenzie Siglos. Yeah. Crushes. Yeah. Crushes. Yeah. and then there's a bunch. There's a bunch of others who do who do really really outstanding work. Uh, Aaron Van Wood. Yeah, Aaron's incredible. Rizzo. Rizzo's incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, George Kaloudis. Yes. Yes. Is great. He moderated a panel um, that I was on and and uh, could not have been more thoughtful and well prepared. 
Like, you know, there's like, you know, you, you see some of like the, the artists who do like really sort of rough impressionist work hmm. and then you see their sketchbook and they're doing like perfect, you know, perfect portraits. That's like George in, in interviewing. He read like four books that I mentioned offhand in an interview like two years ago. He's like, oh yeah, I read those in preparation for our 25 minute panel. <laughs> Unbelievably good. Coindesk, give him a raise. In fairness, Danny reads four books for every interview I do. He just gives me the notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you thought, have you done any audio books? Because sometimes when I've got like podcasts for fatigue, I go to audio books. I, I was going to, I was going to go there with you. I just finished um, the Leonardo da Vinci biography. Wow. Okay. It was awesome. It was the same guy who did the Jobs biography and the Ben Franklin biography, same, same biographer, Walter Isaacson. Um, and, and it was just great. Like this is, this is somebody who, um, is, tr you know, truly a polymath, right? So he was equally known at the time that he was working for his military engineering capabilities. His, uh, he was a naturalist. He was obviously a, a beyond brilliant artist. Um, but being able to kind of sit at the intersection of, um, sort of apex art creation apex engineering and apex, you know, science and biology, let him weave together, um, these skill sets in just ways that, that I had no appreciation for previously, but, but walked away from that book, um, you know, ready, ready to, ready to talk about it on a podcast and get excited. That art documentary, was it the last Da Vinci or was it the last Van Gogh? Mm, I've not There's seen There's a that. documentary that I saw recently. I think, I'm sure it's the last Da Vinci. It was. So, so have you watched that? I have not, but I know the painting that it's all about where there was a, um, on vellum, which is lambskin, there was a cutout from the front illustration page of a book that was given to, I believe it was sort of his patron's daughter. It turns out to be real, um, but basically there was a multi-year saga of trying to validate if this was actually a Da Vinci um, illustration or not. Hmm. Um, and this guy bought it at auction. I mean, he oh, the guy who who bid on it, um, he saw it at auction. He said it looked amazing. He thought it was either one of Da Vinci's students or somebody else, you know, who did a really great sort of example of the work. And I think he bid like eighteen grand for it. And then somebody else won it for like $23,000. And then nine years later, he was able to buy it at the same price, the $23,000 price. Thing is worth like $100 million. Are we definitely talking about the same painting? No, it sold for half a billion. Yeah. Yeah. A 450 it's the, it's million. The Lost Leonardo. The Lost Leonardo. It sold to uh, the Saudi prince. Which one? Bin Salman? Yeah. No. Um, I keep wanting to say SBF because that's the, that's the uh, three letters. M MBS. MBS. I said, why do we say SBF? MBS, yeah. I'm pretty sure you paid $450 million for it. And they still don't know if it's a Da Vinci or not. It's a, it's a wild documentary. So this is, and this is crazy. So you, you're, you're catching me in, in an area that has been yeah. very exciting this week. You know um, better than me. He, so the way they did authentication for some of these paintings um, and, and other sketches is some of them he signed, but he didn't sign all of them. Hmm. And some of them he left a fingerprint on. And that's like what happened with this one is that they, they felt pretty strongly that there was a fingerprint match. And then they were able to find the, the book that it was cut out of. And that was like how they, why they feel it's you know much more likely that it is a Da Vinci than not. But it had to be restored. Can you get the photo of it pre-restoration? Mm -hmm. Because 
a lot of work had to get done to it. Like an insane amount of work had to get done. To it. Uh, uh, same, same with, um, with uh, The Last Supper. An enormous amount of restoration work has been done because um, it's on a church wall. Yeah. Be mad if, if somebody's paid 450 million for a work of one of his students. There's a book that we all, we do the audio book, well, we, some of us, but uh, sometimes me, Jeremy, and Danny discuss books. We all did this book at the end of last year called Hail Mary. I have it downloaded. Oh my God. It's, it's, so the, it's, the, it's the sci-fi book? Yeah. Yeah, I have it downloaded. Don't spoil me. No, I'm not going to spoil it. All I'm going to say is once you've started, you'll be gripped. Okay. And it's the most, it's not what I expected. And it's the most fascinating story. It's Andy, it's Andy Weir, right? Who, yeah. The guy who did The Martian. Yeah, The Martian, yeah. Okay, yeah. I have it downloaded. It's been commissioned for a film as well, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's been commissioned for a film. Um, it takes a little bit to get into. And then once it starts, well, like once it starts going, for me, without giving it away, I don't know what you think, Danny, it didn't go where I expected it. But it went better. It definitely didn't go where I expected. I wasn't sure about the ending. Oh, I love the ending. Have you guys? I'm changing the topic so you don't spoil <laughs> me. Um, have you guys read the Three Body Problem? No, no, that's been recommended a few times. Okay, so right, I'm going to get it now. So if you, yeah, if you, um, what it feels like you're describing, you need to do this as a as a team and go through the Three Body Problem together. There's three books. Um, they're all phenomenal. Um, but this is, yeah, this is like, to me, there's like people who've read this book and who've kind of got it and, and, and have digested it. And, and just, it's such a special. That's also being made into a TV show by the guys who did Game of Thrones. Huh. It's uh, free to download on Audible. Right, or I bought it, it previously. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is, this is how we survive bear markets. Yeah. My, uh, the one Sci-fi I, content. I've literally just started the psychology of totalitarianism, and I just don't know. I've got it in me, man. You know who? You know who's a big sci-fi head? Who is Matt Pines? He was here like two days ago. Dude, he's the best. Yeah, he's the best. We were we were discussing because of uh, Zayhan being um, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit misdirecting people on Bitcoin, like, and then everyone on Twitter is like, "You need to be sailor. No, it needs to be safe, Dean." Like, uh, I don't think people pick the right people. Uh, I don't think he's going to have anyone. But if we did, Danny's controversial choices, Matthew Pines would be great. He'd be great. But well, I think he's not going to do an Andrea-style Bitcoin show again. So it needs to have another topic, and then that's the Trojan horse for a Bitcoin conversation. Yeah, I, every conversation can end up being a Bitcoin conversation if you have the right Bitcoiner. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, my personal shout's always been at Scudstein. That would be I mean, one. if it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> you guys should just talk about podcasting. <laughs> yeah. no. I think I think Gladstein would be incredible because there's so many t topics he can touch on on human rights and totally. uh, I don't you might have skipped the show of mine but he, I made a show recently with him about the IMF and mm -hmm. the World Bank yeah and that to me is like a story that I think someone like Rogan would love to get into so I'm convinced that the all-in podcast guys are listening to your show really or or listening to Alex Gladstein because one of their 2023 loser prediction predictions was the IMF Hmm. And I'm convinced that they saw Gladstein's piece. So really interestingly, uh, Chamath's team got in touch about, when was that? Was it about a year, and a year ago? It was a good while ago. Yeah, a year and a half ago. And uh, wanted some podcasting advice. And I was like, <laughs> what? And they're like, yeah, we know your podcast is doing really well. Um, just want some advice. And, uh, uh, and the trade-off was Chamath was meant to come on the show. It was before he dropped out of... That was uh, Bitcoin 2022, wasn't it? 
Yes. Yeah, so like I, I want Chamath on the show. Uh, I've got important questions for him. I don't agree with him and everything. So anyway. So I just don't, I just like, I, I don't find his Bitcoin take remotely interesting. If I were to get two hours with Chamath to interview him, I would spend one hour and 50 minutes on all of the growth hacking that he did at Facebook. Yeah. Because okay. he is a top 0.1% growth hacker and built, you know, built Facebook's user base up to a billion people. Like that's it. That's was, that's like the thing that I want the deep dive on. I don't care about the rest of it. Well, they, they owe me a fucking interview because the, the, the trade off was like, <laughs> was they wanted to say, uh, what have you done? How have you done it? And uh, yeah, Chamath will come on the show. And I was like, great. So I just went through everything I'd done, which isn't rocket science, you know. And uh, then he wasn't available. You know, it didn't happen or we didn't, you know. Did. Oh, he wanted to do it remotely where I only want to do it in person. Uh, so it didn't happen. So if anyone on All In Pod is listening, uh, probably not David Sachs because he's blocked me. Um, but if anyone else is listening, Chamath owes me a fucking show. And can it please be a show all about his time at Facebook marketing? Because I'm very curious about that part. We might have to clickbait the title. This is below your line. Dude, don't. <laughs> come on now. It's not going to come on. Uh, what could we call it? Uh, who is the best host on All In Pod? Um, I actually don't watch it. It's probably the science guy, Friedberg. He's good. I don't know him. I mean, I never listen to it because all I ever see is bits on Twitter and I'm like, it's just not my thing. But I've heard really good things. I was out for a drink with a friend the other night and she was saying to me, um, and she's not into VC startups in any way remotely at all, but she said she loves the show. Yeah, they do a good job. They do a really good job. Are they, are they touching on like all subjects? Uh, I would say it's probably, you know, it's probably like a, like a three to four legged stool of like politics investing current events, geo, geo, you know, U S politics, global politics, and like supply chain macro, that kind of stuff as well. It's punchy, right? So you're only getting, you know, 60 to 75 minutes, you know, kind of length they have, you know, they're, they, they have, they have strong opinions that I often agree with or disagree with. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, they, they don't do a good job of like, understanding Bitcoin's role in the world. Um, they're pretty crypto-y for my taste, but I think from like a, you know, what is the, what is the nature of the current public discourse? I think they're a pretty good bellwether for like, you know, affluent American, you know, investor class. I might check it out. Give it a go. Have a listen. But if you listen to Marth, David Sachs, who's the other guy? Friedberg. No, there's another one. I don't like him. Maybe he's the one who blocked me. I think he's the other one. Roy, something Roy? Jason. Yeah. No, Jason. At Jason. At Jason. Yeah, no, he's yeah. the one who blocked me. Not a fan. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, I'll check that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, I'm with you. There's, I don't think there's a lot of interesting content out at the moment. I'll tell you another reason I don't think there is, is I think a lot of podcasts have tried to become very current. So they're all discussing the same thing. So event happens, they all discuss it. We do it sometimes. Like we we discuss we had Ukraine, Russia covered. Mm -hmm. We had SBF covered, which we had to. But like whatever the thing is that everyone's it's, covering. It's it's the the current thing, right? Like everybody's got to like orient themselves around the current thing. And I think that like we as Bitcoiners are like 
pr- we're pretty we're, not the current we're, thing we're the allergic <laughs> we're allergic to that right like bitcoin is bitcoin is designed to not be the current thing it's designed to be boring stable and and click forward one step at a time come on man you you want it to be the current thing again <laughs> <laughs> I'm open to it being the current thing. Maybe that's what's worked out well for us in that when we travel, because we travel for six weeks, make 20 shows, we can't always cover the current thing, what's going on. So we have to make timeless shows if we can, a little bit. Well, and your, and your show is different because it is always oriented around a guest, right? It's always an interview. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not sort of the, the, the main cast talking about the next list of topics. It's about, you know, you're bringing somebody on who, who has a reason to be there. They've got a particular, you know, experience or business or, you know, view on something that, that you want to hear about. And so I think being sort of an interview first, you know, topic second kind of show is, is, you know, a buffer against being the current thing. You know why that is though, don't you? Because the- no one wants to hear my fucking opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally have people on YouTube all the time saying, uh, can we just remove Pete's bits? Oh, I skip Pete's bits. <laughs> we even had one the other day because Daddy's got fans now. It said, uh, "You know, like if a podcast, there's a podcast, there's ads on it. It says podcast starts at nine minutes. And they stamp it. They had Daddy starts at forty-one minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> See, that's the real use for ChatGPT. There you go. Removing Pete from the audio. Exactly. <laughs> Daddy's using that for our podcast. I'm sure. Does I think it's going to have a big role this year, honestly. I think it's going to, like, it's going to be used in every business. We could, uh, could we potentially replace, if we get a, if we got an audio reader, could we replace the guest? <laughs> what would Harry Suddock say about <laughs> podcast fatigue? <laughs> we wouldn't even need to get you any, we just need to get that, that those uh, tones. Just, just send me the script and I'll audio book it for you. <laughs> <laughs> How you been, man? Do you have a good break? Yeah, I actually, well, I got COVID Christmas Eve, oh, which fuck. sucked. First time? Second. Worse second time? No, better. better, Much better second time. Um, but just like, you know, older older parents and grandparents don't want to get around no. them. So, you know, my, my Christmas became a, a, you know, couch and television nap. Sounds pretty good. Which was, which was in retrospect, <laughs> not the worst option. <laughs> I quite like the sound of that. Uh, so restful. Like got to, got to recharge the batteries, come back, come back very fresh. Um, and like, you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm a default aggressive kind of person. I like to, I like to be very proactive and, and hit hard. Um, and so I'm really excited to work on Bitcoin stuff this year. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Uh, I certainly felt fatigued towards the end of the year. Um, I don't think I was fatigued because of the price so much. It's more the volume of bullshit. And then it seemed as like more bullshit layered on more bullshit. And we just, we just got hit so many times. And when you keep getting hit so many times, there's other things you have to deal with. So for example, outside of our, uh, this, I have my football club and there are people who hate us. They've just decided they hate us. We hate you. And so there's one guy specifically who I've blocked him from our Twitter. So he waits for other people to tweak and cause so he can reply to them. He's a fucking idiot. But all he's been doing this year has been retweeting articles of crypto companies or Bitcoin companies failing. He just wants to attack it. And it's that thing. Cause so many bad things that happens. You, you always have to defend Bitcoin to people again. You always, you always have to explain it again. And that fatigues you because you want to be explaining the good stuff. You want to be, you know, on the offense, not on the defense. 
And so I got to the end of the year and I was just like, oh man, this is hard work. I've actually come back into this new year, caught up with Danny and Jeremy, made some shows. I'm feeling optimistic and looking forward like you to getting back into it. Yes. It's time. Like the, the you know, Bitcoin's education cycles wait for no one. Um, you know, we, you know, we as, as the, the distributed, you know, users of this software, um, we go through cycles. Bitcoin doesn't go through cycles. Bitcoin clicks every 10 minutes. And so, you know, the, the opportunity to use kind of the scarce time in front of us, um, you know, it's a huge opportunity, but there's also time pressure that, that I feel all the time, which is that, you know, Bitcoin will not remain, uh, niche forever. And so, you know, educating people I care about, getting, you know, getting the, the, my own kind of mindset deeply, um, you know, framed out for myself, like continuing to do kind of that education and re-education work for myself around Bitcoin. You know, I don't have a Noster set up yet. I need to, right? I haven't gotten to it yet, but like, these are things that are developing, you know, sort of in the broader, you know, Bitcoin ecosystem that are exciting and that are new. And that if I don't stay super on top of, like will pass me by, like there's like the, the one that, 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 comes to mind especially is like there was a bunch of people who who got really really good at lightning routing right they were earning fees on routing and they were like doing a bunch of bespoke setups on that and like i just you know i run a business like i don't have the time do you want me to show you yeah (laughs) yeah show me how let's 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 open the laptop (laughs) okay i was joking (laughs) has your um have you found that the way you explain bitcoin to people has evolved um, I find that the parts of Bitcoin that require explanation have changed. So like at the beginning, it, a lot of it was like, what's up with this 21 million thing? Like, what do you mean hard cap? Like, how does that even work? I spend almost no time explaining how 21 million hard cap works anymore. Everybody kind of has digested the fact that like, there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. How? Not really sure, but we think that this is like a thing that is true. It is. It has become true in the global consciousness of Bitcoin. Now I spend a lot more time talking about proof of work versus proof of stake. I spend a lot more time talking about energy. I spend a lot more time talking about, um, you know, n- nodes a little bit, but like more so it's like layer two, lightning, transaction throughput, like those ideas feel like they're they're gathering more of like the question. Um, the question process sort of with somebody who is maybe financially literate, but not Bitcoin literate or somebody who's technology literate, but not Bitcoin literate. Um, if it, it feels like the, the questions are less of like, what are Bitcoin's like functional underpinnings and like more sort of unique deep dives into single topics or single questions. So if I was like one of your buddies, who's a, you know, pre Bitcoin life, mm-hmm. when you're old school buddies and I phone you up, I'm like, Harry, I think I need to get into this Bitcoin thing. But I know shit about it. Like, tell me about it. What, what would you say? What is it? What is it, man? Why? Why should I care? Uh, Bitcoin's. It's just. It's a new money monetary technology, right? So the same way that like you didn't used to be able to use like Venmo or or Cash App or whatever, Bitcoin represents like that level of unlock. But everybody in the world can do it, right? So you don't need a bank account. You don't even need an app store account. Like it becomes like truly universally accessible money. Yeah, but why do I need that, man? I've uh, got. I've, I can Venmo you. I only Venmo 
you and my girlfriend or whatever, my mom, why do I need you? Yeah. So I think like the, the that's the, that's like the rub is like the, the American perspective on Bitcoin is going to end up being vastly the minority perspective on Bitcoin, which is like Bitcoin is a, a, you know, financial insurance, at least at the beginning or monetary insurance at the beginning and not like, um, the lifeblood of your household. And so for so many other people around the world who end up using Bitcoin, um, it becomes household lifeblood, right? It, 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 it is the way that you function um, over time. Whereas in America, like the dollar, at least, you know, on a year over year basis, largely works um, and, and is a productive, you know, is a productive asset for us um, and is useful. So I think understanding kind of that usefulness um, in a, in a, uh, you know, bit, a Bitcoin use case native way is harder for Americans. But, you know, conversely, like, the arguments around, um, you know, Bitcoin as, uh, a financial asset, right. As a, as a way to, to preserve wealth over time. Um, I think Americans get that a little, a little more clearly. And you see that in, in some of the demographic breakdowns of who owns Bitcoin. Yeah. But then I would say to you, Harry, it wouldn't have preserved much over the last year. Are you sure? Yeah, of course. You know, th this is, this is the time preference conversation, which is on any one-year basis, Bitcoin might look terrible. Um, but if you're willing to look at Bitcoin over a multi-year period of time, um, that's when it starts to get exciting. If you're able to look at the, the improvements in development and lightning and in these other kind of venues of, of growth, um, that's when Bitcoin looks looks more exciting. But on any single year basis, like no doubt it's performed, you know, it's performed brutally. This show is brought to you by Wasabi, who I am using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. Now, with the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join, this can be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement. You do also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't leak your IP address. There's also no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there's no more change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking a lot more seriously recently, and with Wasabi 2.0, this is so much easier. So if you want to find out more about this, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B. I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Next up today, we have Casa. Now, whether you've bought your first SATs or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person that should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin, it doesn't have to be difficult because Casa makes it super easy. And getting started is simple. Just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need assistance, it's only a phone call away. And Cast has the best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. And I have been using Casa. I've been using their multi-sig for two years now. I absolutely love it. Now, it is time for you to take financial freedom into your own hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, today we have Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin. But again, I'm only buying right now. We're hodlers. We've seen the bottom of the market. We've seen this through, right? Now, I've been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy. 
And Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of What Bitcoin Did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Danny, can you look up the price of Bitcoin on the 23rd of November 2017? Yes. Because this is going to be higher. Potentially, well, but there's a reason for that date. Do you know what that date is? November 23rd, 2017. What might have happened about five, just over five years ago? What? I launched this podcast. No way. So uh, somebody messaged me the other day and said, uh, (laughs) when I announced I've launched a new podcast, they're like, what's it about? Why are you launching a new podcast? I was like, well, I just want to talk about some other subjects, do some other things. And he's like, it's because there's nothing to talk about Bitcoin. I said, like, what do you mean? It's like, well, it's failed. It's failed since you launched it. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, the price is down. November 23rd? Yeah. 8,200-ish. He's fucking wrong. He's wrong. <laughs> when, did it, when did it go to 20,000? Uh, December 17th was about the top. I mean, it's around about then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I would have laughed if I launched it December 17th. <laughs> so we're actually, on the five-year basis, we're down. No, we're about even. It's a store of value. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. The reason I ask about that, um, how you explain it to people, because I, th- I found myself, Harry, talking about more of the why Bitcoin, not mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. I talk about what it isn't, trying to do that separation between Bitcoin, shitcoins, and NFTs. That's an important thing, but it's more the why. You know why you need to consider this now, and I've I've tried a two pronged approach. Is that this is this is a potential insurance for you for your kids over multi year, like you said, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. But also, I, I tried to explain this to Brandon Quidham, and he completely disagreed with me. But I think it's a vote. Uh, it's a vote for independence from government. So even if you're not sure about it and you just want to go and find out a bit, just go and buy some. Go and buy 30 pounds, 50 pounds, and then you've got some. And then tell somebody else to do that. And then everyone starts to become part of this ecosystem that's saying, okay, we all want a bit. We all want a stake in this separation for government. But it doesn't sell well. I think, I would say that, it, I would say that it's, it's bigger than just governments. Fair. Um, you know, the way my, my sort of Bitcoin shit test for the future is like like how will I, I I I ask myself the question all the time. How do we how do I know we've won, right? One day me, we may wake up and and we have won, and how do I know like when that day has come? And to me, the day that I know that we've won is when the the labor force, the the people who work, are able to dictate to their employers, do not pay me in GBP, do not pay me in USD, do not pay me in CAD pay me in sats when that when that i am able to get paid natively into the bitcoin network and i'm able to dictate that to my employer and we broadly are able to dictate to our employers that's when we know because we've exited at that point because so much of the the sort of the yoke of bureaucratic systems revolve around the paycheck ecosystem my taxes are automatically deducted. 
My 401k and IRA are automatically contributed to. My insurance is automatically paid for. Oh, I've got these tax deferred dollars that go into my healthcare spending account. You know, you're in this walled garden of, of you know, your, your employer, your government, and your healthcare insurance system, at least in America, and sort of that garden of, of payment rails and tax rails, you know, is designed to kind of keep you in it. And so when people are able to say, I don't want that, I want this, and the employers are facing enough pressure from employees to to do this for them, to provide access to them in these sort of, you know, SATS native, Bitcoin native ways, that's when we've won. Um, and there's been enough of a groundswell to have this sort of very low friction switching cost from the previous garden, walled garden ecosystem into an open ecosystem. That, to me, that's the juncture. So do you think of what the implications of that are? What else has changed? Mm-hmm. All the time. Um, and, and, you know, and, and the, the short answer is that um, it means that Bitcoin probably is dramatically more expensive in purchasing power. Um, it also probably means that the ability to, on an opt-in basis, transact with each other has become drastically more free. And so we see people engaging voluntarily with each other in trade or employment or, or whatever the case may be. That voluntary transaction, that explicit transaction, that conscious versus unconscious choice um, will, be, will be the predominant way of thinking. You sound very libertarian right now. That's not, that's not a criticism, not a pejorative. No, I, I mean, I, th- I just think that, I think that the, the, the way, you know, the, the ways that the frog is getting boiled, um, it, it's just even more subtle and nefarious than, than I think we have an appreciation for. I agree, but I think more people are becoming aware of this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more questioning. Now, that works both ways. I think a lot of things are being questioned that don't need to be, and the questions are weird and stupid. Um, like a really bad, well, that's maybe not a bad example. Uh, I'm, uh, I've tweeted a little bit about Andrew Tate recently. Mm-hmm. I think he's a fucking idiot, and I think his message to young children is terrible. I know some people love him, right? He has a lot of simps that protect him. <laughs> he's now been arrested. Mm-hmm. Uh, accused of some quite serious crimes, trafficking, um, coercion, etc. And publicly, some people have been very supportive of him. And some, strangely, some right-wing Christians, which, conservative Christians, which doesn't make any sense. But anyway, uh, he's very. He, he, to me, he's very much like uh, a. I don't see the ver- very many differences between him and Harvey Weinstein, apart from the fact that he hasn't yet been convicted. The main difference is he's publicly telling people what he's doing. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. <laughs> and people are questioning it, saying, no, no, it's the Matrix. No, the government want to shut him up. You know, when he got arrested, they're trying to shut him down. Like, I think that's where it's gone too far. It's like, can you, how do your eyes not show you this guy's a fucking idiot? But, but, you're, but he, he and that, that whole sort of sphere of interactions are so de- like far downstream from the nature of the problems. The nature of the problems are that we are told on a regular basis, don't believe your lying eyes. Right? The, the food pyramid's good. Hmm? You know, we, we, we've, the obesity rates in America, it's not a problem. We're just not accepting our bodies properly. 
you know, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy that what, what we are told to, to digest and accept sort of writ large, you know, th- this argument that, oh, you know, Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. The cameras all just shut off and he hung himself and now all the guards are dismissed. But n- suicide, you know, like the, we, we are asked to believe these phenomenally disbelievable things mm. and, and said, don't believe your lying eyes. You're looking, you're seeing it's happening in front of you. Stop believing it. And so what happens when you enter into a paradigm where the, the de facto notion is if you do not accept the, the capital T truth trademark that gets fed to you, you know, you are either a bad person and do not have a role or place in society and then expect to introduce that paradigm to hundreds of millions of people and not end up with radicalization and weird and weird, strange outcomes on the other end. It's, it's crazy. Right. Like you're 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 adding you're adding such a, a dark and chaotic element to our ability to sense make of where we are. Where are we? What does inflation mean? What happened? Oh, inflation is not real. It's transitory. Well, where's the where's the apology? Where's the apology from the Biden administration, the Federal Reserve Bank and everybody who tried to feed us? the idea that inflation was going to be a transitory idea. Where's the retrospective? Where do we have an honest conversation around data and facts and take the opportunity to learn at a baseline societal level and have a a discourse and dialogue around what went wrong and why did we not get it right? What were the inputs that led to that? Or are we just living in a forever, you know, are we the foie gras goose on the wrong end of marketing? right? Where the funnel is jammed into our mouths and information is is pushed into the funnel and anything other than taking it and getting turned into, you know, a pate is wrong. Capital W wrong, capital A A amoral. It's incentives though. You just have to follow incentives. There's an inertia to admitting you're wrong. Like a fear. But we didn't used to. I mean, look, I can tell you as somebody who has very publicly said some things that down the line, you're like, fuck, that was so wrong. That is hard. But the strange thing is, is when you admit you're wrong, you say, look, I got this wrong. I'm sorry. Like you look at the responses. There's a lot of people who turn around and say, you know, fair play to you for admitting that. Yeah. And they trust you more Mm -hmm. because of that. Because we're all fallible. We're all, apart from you, we all say stupid things <laughs> and regret them. Or we all, all hold a bit. Like, no one's perfect their whole life. No one goes through their whole life and every opinion they have, which is, you know, subjective, it proves to be right. You know, that never happens. But we have a culture now of dunking on people for being wrong um, and people are not willing to, like, make mistakes. But And, and it's a primary issue with politicians is... You cannot trust them. No. I mean, the other day I was watching, I don't fully understand the Speaker of the House thing, but I was watching this video online and it was um, Matt Getz. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like the hold up to McCarthy, get McCarthy or is it McCarthy? McCarthy. Yeah, McCarthy getting through. I mean, I don't know the details, someone, someone else will. But he was the hold up for him getting the number of votes he needed. And they show a guy go up to him in whatever chamber they're in and whisper in his ear and gets looks, it goes kind of white. And then he ends up voting for him this evening, that evening. And you're like, what is going on here? 
Like, what is the horse trading in the background for you and your self-interest that means this, you get the Speaker of the House for the whole country? Like, what is going on? I mean, I don't live here. I just see it. But try and see if you can find that video because it's weird. And, and again, to me, it, all of this is downstream of the fact that we have a government body that, that has that, – that the whole fate of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of households sit on the back of this one person's opinion. One? Well, if he's the last holdout vote, it mm. all ends up there. Right. If you win fifty-one forty-nine, one person turns that vote. Is it his opinion, or is it his incentives? Like, is something offered to him, or something threatened to him? I mean, he he doesn't have a unchecked past. <laughs> I think I think that there is a there is a uh, foundational problem of standards. We have we have lowered our standards around what we expect of each other, of our elected officials, of our of our partners, of our community leaders. We just don't hold each other to nearly as high the standards as we as we perhaps used to. Um, and so, you know, if there's a if there's a yeah, I try to stay action oriented here. Can can I interject and just say I think we do if we disagree with them. And that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Cuz if you look at the entire body of government they, they're meant to represent every constituent, not just the people who voted for them. They're meant to represent every constituent. But if we become so partisan that we only hold to account the people who we disagree with, we're given a pass to the people we agree with. And it becomes a problem in that. It becomes a problem in that you end up becoming increasingly ever polarized. We don't hold the people... On our team. Yeah, on our team. Account. And that's the problem because we give a pass to our team. Or we're basically saying to them, you can lie and say it's transitory because you're on my team. But if the other team did it, I've got a problem with you. Here we go. Look. Put the sound on. Oh, yes. The Godfather music. That shoulder tap. Yeah. Oh my God. And look at his face. He looks worried. I mean, I th what's he said to him? Remember that uh, trafficking of a minor across border charge? Yeah. We got receipts, man. You don't know. I mean, this is why it's bullshit. But like, I think we have to have this more collective holding together. We had a guy in the other day. Uh, we did an interview with uh, Vivek. What's his name? Vivek Ramaswari. Ramaswari. Oh, the COVID guy. Is he a COVID guy? What do doctor? Is COVID he a doctor? Oh, no, 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 no. He wrote a book called Woking. And oh, I'm thinking of a different. And he's going to polarize some people. And I didn't, I didn't hundred percent believe in him in that. We started a conversation talking about the problems of the left versus the right. And he said it, is, it shouldn't be a left v right thing. It should be the, uh, it should be the managerial class mm -hmm. and then the civilian class. And that's where the separation is because the managerial class essentially runs society and the civilian class essentially accepts everything. So think of it almost like the truckers in Canada versus the politicians the truckers' right to protest was destroyed. They were demonized. 
Trudeau has control of government, but they also have control of the media. And he said, the people who are suffering are being, are being co-opted into a team, but really they're constantly being attacked together. I mean, we're the, they're the people we're making the poorest through inflation. They're the people we're taking away any civil liberties from. And actually, they should be collective together. Like in the UK at the moment, we have uh, a lot of strikes. We've got the rail strikes. We've got the nurses' strikes. The nurses, it shouldn't matter whether you're left or right. It should be that you have worked your bollocks off through two years of COVID. There's been massive inflation and you haven't been given a pay rise. And even like we made this film about inflation in the UK, there are nurses now, full-time nurses, who are having to go to food banks because their salary doesn't cost, cover their entire costs. That's who we should be bringing together. The, the, the issue, typically, in, in my observation, is that the mechanisms by which the teams try to um, recruit out of the, you know, re recruit or co-opt out of the, you know, what, what, what you're describing as the, what the worker class. No, he, he was very specific to say to us, do not say the worker class. But then he described it as the worker class I in know, a different way. But it's not, it's not the worker class because you could be the civilian class. The civilian class. Yeah. And you could, you could be, but you could be fabulously wealthy, but you're not co-opted co into that, the managerial class. You might be, I don't know, say you're a farmer who's a number of farms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're still part worth, of the civilian class. Worth enormous. Yeah. But, but he, he's trying to connect. It's about power. Yeah. Power between companies, media, politicians that control everything. Almost like the World Economic Forum's ability to infiltrate into governments. Now, I'm not saying I agree with all of his things, but you can certainly see the connections. You can absolutely see the connections. I think that, I think that it's the, the mechanisms of control. Yes. Are ultimately, you know, where the, the just, you know, the routing, revolution routing around, you know, pick your, your mecha, your, you know, your, your way out. Um, but I think, you know, I think we're seeing it, we're seeing it, you know, it, it, to me, it feels more brazen, you know, it just feels, it feels like, like there's a, you know, the, I can never unsee the, you're going to own nothing and you'll be happy. Right. That, yeah. That, Do you know the background to that? No. So that wasn't actually a World Economic uh, Forum policy. It was a thought piece by an external person, was it? And not to say it wasn't, they didn't publish it and they didn't put it up there. And, and uh, my answer is it doesn't matter. Yeah. The answer is that the idea is, you know, the, it's, the, it's the, the idea that you are the carbon they plan to eliminate. Yeah. That's the heart of the, that's the heart of it, of all of this is that, is that, you know, we, the, 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 for the, for the greater good you need to have less and we are going to tell you what amount of less you're going to get. Yeah. And you can see that with the, I mean, especially someone like Holland, what they've done specifically to the farmers, you can, mm -hmm. or Sri Lanka, what they've done there. That's why the Gladstein show was so important. Yes. I, I totally, I totally agree. And, and, and this is the, this is the, the limiting belief, like that what, what so revolts me is that there are, groups within the context, you know, that we're talking about, whether it's, you know, the, the politicians or the media or the, the WEF or wh whoever, who believe that, that they, that, you know, they have this limiting belief that, that the only way that we can either, we can survive, whatever that means to them, is if we eliminate X, Y, and Z. 
And I just don't believe that's true. I don't believe that we need to, we need to manage our electricity consumption. I don't believe that we, that we need to do, you know, more with less or we need to, we need to, you know, not eat, you know, beef or, or whatever, whatever the, whatever the sort of the, the sacrifice du jour is. I just don't believe it's true because at the end of the day, humans are prospering in, in untold ways that 50 or hundred years ago would have been unimaginable. You know, the, the great gift and maybe eventually great curse, you know, of the internet is that, you know, life is pretty bearable. You know, we don't shit in the woods. We find a way to feed more people on planet earth than, than ever before. We are, we have an enormous amount of unused land. We're, we're terrible stewards of the land that we have. We could be doing so much more and, and doing more efficiently and raising quality of life. We, technology is this ultimately deflationary force where, you know, $1 goes a lot further towards a higher quality of life than it, than it used to. And, and if we just harness these steps forward, we have an opportunity to, to raise the, the floor enormously further. Um, and, and this idea that, you know, well, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna run out. We're not running out. We're limiting ourselves, and it, and it's and it's it, you know it's it's a it's a, a disgusting treatment of humanity. It's a disgusting treatment of the innovation that is available to us with the technologies in front of us. You know, I'm gonna I'll piggyback on your nuclear comment earlier because I think it's just like ridiculously important that we have the ability to have unbounded access to energy. There is no such thing as scarcity. We're not going to run out. If we had the will to invest in an electric grid that was powered by nuclear reactors on a much broader basis, the cost of energy would fall to de minimis amounts. This show is brought to you by Ledin. And from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Now, Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only is a Ledin sponsor, I am also a customer. I've been using Ledin since they became a sponsor, and I absolutely love the service. Now, if you want to find out more about this, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Next up today, we have Ledger. And now with everything that's happened in Bitcoin over the last few months, it again highlighted the importance of self-custody and why Ledger is such an important company for the industry. Now, I have been using a Ledger Nano S since 2017, since when I got back into Bitcoin. And I'm still using that same Ledger Nano S now. I've still got, I literally got it here set with me right now. Now, with Ledger, you have industry-leading security built into the Ledger device. And also, they have got a new device coming soon. It's called a Stax. It's totally awesome. I've pre-ordered mine. But the Ledger Nano S has been the leading hardware device for people to store their Bitcoin for years now. Now, if you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Also, today, we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, fast withdrawals, and VIP experiences that money can't buy. 
With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best online casino for Bitcoiners. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, please head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Can you get up that chart we had? On that, though, before we get that up, um, I saw a thing the other day, a bank in Australia are now doing a per-transaction carbon footprint on their, like, to the customer. So with every transaction, you get, like, a score or on, on term, in terms of how much carbon that's emitted. And that's, like, one step before they put a limit on how much you're allowed to have in a month. They will take it from you that's the if com- you let them. That's but the Australian commies. I keep telling scary. Danny he needs to move back to the UK. <laughs> Come hang out with me in Bedford. So I think it's this. This is a live grid in the UK. Yeah. So what I thought was really interesting in this is that that I think it's set up wrong. Because I understand what they're doing. They, you know, we want to move. We want to decarbonize the world as best possible. We don't even have to have an argument over whether you believe it's important or not. But I do. We need to decarbonize the world. So we look here. Ninety percent of the UK energy is coming from fossil fuels. 48.2% from renewables, 17.7% from other percent uh, from other sources, and then 15.2% from transfers. So great, 48.2% renewables. Okay, again, we don't need to have the argument about whether you believe they are actually renewable. But the point is, is that it's misleading. Do you know what this should be? This should be carbon-free, carbon-emitting, or carbon-neutral, carbon-positive, whatever the things are, and, because and, nuclear should sit alongside solar, wind, and hydroelectric. And calling gas the same thing as coal is also ridiculous. If I were to take a, an operating coal, and let's just live in, let's live in, in carbon accounting land for a mm. moment. If I were to take a coal plant and decommission it and replace it with a combined cycle natural gas plant, I have decarbonized the vast majority of emissions coming out of the coal plant. So really what we should have them do is graded about, because this, is about, this isn't about fossil fuels or renewables. This is about carbon. It's about emissions it's or about not. about emissions. So it should be, which, because what would happen is nuclear would go to the top. By a wide margin. And I think it potentially go, and, and I know there's timescales to this. Mm-hmm. But it might go above solar. It might go above wind. I don't know in terms of the construction costs and energy output, but like I'm sure it can be calculated. Put Do you know what biomass is? Let's and let's just let's yeah. just let's just like really go to the middle of it. Because biomass is, I, I only found it in the last one. Yeah, biomass is cutting down trees and burning them. Yeah, is being called as carbon free or carbon whatever as nuclear. Well, it's just other sources. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it's meaningless. It, it, it is it is a propagandized chart. Because to call biomass and nuclear in the same category from a from a, a <laughs> I mean from a from an emissions perspective is just a laughable farce, right? If you take a tree, you cut it down and you burn it. Number one, the tree can no longer take carbon out of the atmosphere. How do trees grow? They consume carbon out of the air, right? So you've now limited the the ability for that tree to remove carbon from the air. And then you burn it. And you turn it directly back into incredibly emission heavy, incredibly just go 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 start a campfire in your house and and see how long your the room is livable. Right? It's it's ridiculous. Okay, anyone listening, please do not do this. (laughs) Yeah, obviously don't do that. But I mean, that is a way a lot of people heat their home in England, though. It's actually happened. But with a chimney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's actually happened that there was some guy who. Look it up. Look it up. A guy, the guy who created a, uh, a bonfire in his 
front room or something. Somebody actually did it, but that is house. <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> so don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But but this is but this is the point is that if if we were going to deal honestly with this type of problem, this global crisis, this climate catastrophe, and we were going to deal with it honestly, there is no such thing as a as a coherent environmentalist position that is anti-nuclear and pro climate mitigation. That position doesn't exist in the factual world, right? Yep. We live in, 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 you know, we're going to, we're going to take an attempt to, to, to live in the objective reality together here, where if you believe that there is a pending climate crisis and you do not believe in nuclear energy technology, you are anti-human. And I no longer know how to relate to you on the merits. Nuclear technology is critical infrastructure for humanity all over the planet. And, and there is no position that, is, that, that can go the other way on that one. So uh, Anthony Jarrett, who we had in, the uh, nuclear guy who worked on the subs and the mm-hmm. aircraft carriers, he actually did a calculation and it's deaths per kilowatt hour? Uh, terawatt hour. Deaths per terawatt hour. Mm-hmm. So you can actually look at the, look, this itself isn't perfect, but anyway, deaths per terawatt hour, um, it was something on solar, what was it, 0. I think solar was 0.02 and nuclear was 0.03 or something like that. Yeah, and then like something like coal was massively high. It was because, like nine or... Yeah, because, you know, our example was, you know, one pit collapse can kill more people than have ever been killed by nuclear. Do you know how many people have been caused, killed by nuclear accidents? Uh, it's got to be less than a thousand. Yeah. Uh, so based on our interview, and I, you know, we have to double check this, no one died at Three Mile Island. Nope. No one died at Fukushima. Correct. Which I thought there was one. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, I thought there was one guy. Um, Chernobyl? It's like 17 or something. 46. Yeah. 46, that's it. Now, look, there is a different factor. There is a huge amount of land which is inhabitable around Chernobyl. We have to accept that. And uh, I don't know what the exclusion zone is around Fukushima. That Those things do exist as well. They have to be taken into account. If there is a desire, you can't just say death. And there is a chance, like, if Chernobyl had been much worse, the exclusion zone would have been bigger. I accept that. But that was decades ago with old technology run by Soviets. No offense, Soviets, but run by Soviets in an era of different regulations. Oh, and by the way, at Chernobyl, only one of the reactors melted down. The other two continued for 17 more years. Oh, did they? I didn't even know that. The other two reactors kept producing electricity. I didn't even know that. I think they only got decommissioned in, like, 2017 or something. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't have that kind of like protective seal that all the things are built with now. Uh, I've come a long way in nuclear in the last few months, ever since then with Alex Epstein, actually, uh, forcing myself to go down that rabbit hole. I am now firmly in the position that we need to see a proliferation in the development of uh, nuclear reactors and a reduction in the regulation that slows that down. Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. 50%, 50% of the, of the budget for a nuclear project is estimated to be regulatory spend, not construction spend. Yeah. What I want to know is my potential conspiracy theory is I wonder how much of the work of uh, the environmentalists who are anti-nuclear and anti-green energy is financed by the fossil fuel industry. I wonder if they've gone full zone and said, yeah, well, let's get these guys to do our business for us. Because I don't fucking trust anyone when there's money involved the, at the at the end of the day when you look at 
technology that is obviously positive sum. And I have yet to meet anybody who is willing to read, if someone's willing to read three books about the nuclear, about the nuclear energy industry, and, and if I had to recommend three books, it would be um, Shorting the Grid, uh, it would be Energy and Civilization, and The Grid. I've got two more for you because we got we got a couple of yesterday. One was called Atomic Awakening. Yeah, Atomic mm-hmm. Awakenings. I bought that. And what was the other one? I bought that on Amazon. Give me one second. I'm going to tell you. Do you know Atomic Awakening? I've heard that. I haven't read it yet. I've heard the title. Okay, let's go and see what I ordered yesterday. Uh, Power to Save the World, The Truth About Nuclear Energy. So that's by somebody called Gwyneth Cravens. So apparently she used to be an environmentalist and did the work. She's like, huh, okay, I'm wrong. And so she's written a book about it. Phenomenal. And, and so, the, you know, I don't know anybody who's who's done the work and ended up saying nuclear is still bad, and, you know. And so we we have an obviously positive sum technology, and then we've got prohibitive regulatory environments that has basically said we can't build these. In fairness, um, uh, Everett, who was on uh, this morning, he actually said to us the regulatory environment is changing. It is. There was a bipartisan bill that's pro nuclear. I mean, look, it's coming down to the fact that we have an energy problem, and then suddenly these things melt away. Well, and and let's and let's pick on our favorite friend, which is Gavin Newsom in California. Yeah. So, Gavin Newsom has been a long-term anti-nuke environmentalist until. I don't know, he decided maybe he's got larger political aspirations and all of a sudden it's not so important for us to shut down Diablo Canyon. And now maybe we need to give it a little more extended useful life and maybe we should save the plant. Why? Because it's very hard to run a political campaign in California when there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people suffering from rolling blackouts, which is what happens when you remove firm, low-cost base load from an electric system. And I would criticize a Republican doing the same thing. This is a, a totally bipartisan issue for me. Um, that I believe that if you if you are on the team that wants to shut down reactors, I am not on your team. So if Bitcoin fixes this kind of incentive model, what does it do within the private sector? Because you talked about yeah millions of uh, voluntary interactions, but we know companies can equally be as bad as politicians when money's involved. They can be greedy, they can pollute, they can destroy the environment, they can manipulate markets. You know, we've seen this in the unchecked crypto industry mm-hmm. where any fucking idiot can create a token and they can pump it, make the self rich and run away. You know, I don't, you know, getting rid of the government doesn't suddenly make everything good. It's how do we make everything more honest? And, and, and I would caveat to say that it's not about getting rid of the government, it's about getting rid of of the the mechanisms by which the government can pick winners and losers. Fair. Right? That This is not saying we don't want to have a government. This is saying that it's not reasonable for the government to pick energy providers' technologies on a winners and losers basis. So what do they do instead? I mean, I think that, I think that there's some regular, you know, maybe this is unpopular in some of the, the full-blown ANCAP circles, but, but, you know, I think that there are negative externalities, there are pollution you know, behaviors that companies should be restricted from engaging in. Um, and that, and that, you know, making, you know, making your, your toxic waste, somebody else's problem is wrong. And there needs to be a mechanism by which we keep people from doing that. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that the Rhodes argument is one we need to have at, at all, but I, you know, I think that there are some, um, there's some negative externality prevention and public good, uh, development 
opportunities that I think the government is good at at working on. Um, and I think that I think that those are those are phenomenal um, when the right people are resourced the right way and incentivized the right way to to do that. Um, you know, I, I don't think we should have private courts. I think that the you know the court system functions really well as part of the government. Uh, you know, so I think that that there's there's obviously a role to play. This is not a get rid of everything argument, but it's an argument that you know, once, you know, should, should we need a hundred million dollars to get through all the regulatory hurdles to start a bank? Should it cost that much? Should it be that onerous? No, I believe that a more competitive environment produces better outcomes for everybody. Um, and so it's really about sort of the, the pulling of the ladder up behind the existing incumbents, the managerial class, um, and, and further entrenching them that further entrenchment retrenchment, um, that they seem to be incentivized to, to participate in. That's the part that's hard for me. Yeah. I just want more power given to the largest group of people who have the least influence and get most fucked by everything. Yeah. I want, I want, I want to vote to matter. So you want proof of stake? You know, America run by proof of stake. No, I want I want proof of work. I don't. I can't figure that analogy out, man. This is like twentieth show we made in three days. Okay, so if politics was democracy was proof of work, um, we um, we love having you on our show. We uh, you're kind of my favorite Bitcoiner. I'm willing to admit that publicly. <laughs> we've always wanted to make a show with you, which is everything is good for Bitcoin, because you said that to us before, but we've never actually made it. But uh, 2020, well, 2017 will re- be remembered for the ICOs. And we will remember, was it 2013 for Mt. Gox? So, like, there's different eras mm-hmm. and we've learned for them. And you would say, yeah, 2013 kind of made us stronger. Mt. Gox did, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. 2017 made us stronger because it's like these shit coins don't work. But, I, you know, it's not, uh, it's not binary. People are still made shit coins and we've still had whatever. But, like, things happen that make us stronger. When we look back at 2022, it's not crazy shit that's happened, Harry. Uh, how, how do you think we will reflect on this in five, ten years' time, and how did it make us stronger? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think to me it's very clear. Yeah, it's that financial contagion. Bitcoin, Bitcoin does not fix financial contagion, right? Like if you, if you, you know, and and let's be very clear about what happened in 2022. What happened in 2022 is that there were a lot of loans that were made either collateralized by nothing or collateralized by bullshit or, um, or, you know, full-blown fraud and theft, right? So, so, and we can, we can step through all the examples as has been done time and time again, but basically there was a lot of leverage introduced into the system that had no basis for being there, had no sort of laws of physics reason to exist. Um, and what, what came of that is that is what comes out of any leverage bubble which is it pops. A lot of people who thought that they were well collateralized weren't. A lot of people who thought that they had money deposited somewhere realized they didn't. And, and it all, and, 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 you know, it's the, it's the South Park meme and it's gone. And so the, the bubble collapsed faster than anybody was able to salvage liquidity or salvage collateral. And so what we're going to look back on is how these lending practices, how, you know, this is not a crypto year. This is a this is a financial infrastructure year that we're going to look back on and say, you know, these are lessons for better or for worse. The banking industry learned these lessons several times and do everything that we as a as a extended industry got burned for 
the traditional banking system does this, all of these same types of things, like pretty well, right? They know how to margin a loan. They know how to handle collateral. They know how to, you know, there's a reason why your brokerage is not also your custodian in traditional, in a stock market trading venue, for instance, right? So if I have an account at E-Trade, E-Trade doesn't hold the stock certificates. Bank of New York might, or Brown Brothers Harriman might, or another venue might. And so there's a separation between the brokerage and the custodian. I guess we all figured out that that's important this year. And why is that important? So you know, why does Bitcoin fix this? Because Bitcoin removes the need for the custodian altogether. What everybody else who's participating in other versions of, of crypto assets has learned is that you can self-custody it or you can partition custody. Both of those are better than commingling custody with brokerage. Because if you commingle those things, that's how everything gets fraudulent and disappears. Because that's what's happened, whether it's Celsius, 3AC, FTX, pick your, pick your bad actor. You know, all of those problems happened because people were allowed to borrow money without guardrails or without reasonable collateral. If the traditional industries learned this in 2008 and many other times, how do we fix this in this industry? Because you can fix it for yourself. You can self-custody. If you've got no counterparty risk when there's a contagion, you still get your Bitcoin. But there is still financial damage done in the purchasing powers hit. Absolutely. And therefore, you know, in four years' time, two years' time, three years' time, there's multiple ways this won't happen again. It's, there might not be the liquidity in the market to finance these type of businesses or you know, those who are lending might have better lending practices. Mm -hmm. But what else can be done? Because you know, human greed never goes away. People always try to find weird, greedy ways to bring leverage into the system. Is, it, is this a natural phenomenon? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it is. I think it's a natural phenomenon to the degree that, that we as individual actors... Um, across the whole ecosystem tolerate it, right? Like if, you know, the, yes, there's a price impact, but if you held your Bitcoin on, on a hardware device, you woke up with exactly as much Bitcoin as you did the day before, you know, BlockFi halted withdrawals or whatever, right? So there's, there's, these, there's these sort of uh, counterparty related um, consequences that you have either passively or actively opted into. And so, what you as an individual choose to opt into, which is to do business with a venue that does something that you either don't understand or you're exposed to, or, you know, in the case of, you know, like, and I think this is why the FTX story has been gotten wrong so many times, is that they had a terms of service that they lied about. They, they defrauded you. They committed a crime. And so why were they able to commit that crime? Um, number one is they were bad. Number two is that uh, they held they held collateral for more people than maybe that that they deserved to give them that collateral, and so th this is it's it's critically important to understand if you do not self custody your asset, who is custodying it, and what kind of regulatory framework are they operating within? What does their balance sheet look like? You know, so it's a, if I let's just say I I custodied you know one share of a company with Fidelity. I'm able to get insight into Fidelity's balance sheet because, you know, they're a, a regulated entity. Or if I'm looking at a publicly traded company, for instance, like whatever, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, I'm able to look at their balance sheet, which says these are their liabilities. If they go away, 
What assets do they have to pay me when I sue them for losing my thing? We didn't do that, right? We didn't, we, 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 we're, we're letting Google sheet screenshots replace public company disclosures. Um, and like, that's the lesson is like, to, you know, and, and this is, you know, maybe this is, this is um, cold, but like, we need to grow up and do business like adults and deal with each other like adults. You know, yes, we can do the Bitcoin thing where we self-custody and we, and we take possession of our asset and that's critical and we should do that. But we also need to do business with each other along the way. And accepting inadequate corporate governance or accepting inadequate financial reporting or auditing, like we can't tolerate that. Um, and I think that's what got us into this mess with with FTX, with 3AC and with others is that we we let a piece of paper and a Twitter reputation do the talking instead of an audit and, and, and shame and shame on us. But how, do, how do we enforce that? By not Lack doing, by not doing business with them but, if they don't provide it. Sure. But we're talking about five or six bad actors cause this entire contagion primarily. Yes. Five or six primary, you know, other people will do business with them. So what I'm getting at is, do you think this is something that gets solved by the industry and an industry set of standards, your self-regulation, or do you think it comes from central kind of regulation? And then the, the reason I bring it up is, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty well known for not being opposed to regulation. Uh, and what happened after the 2000, 2008 financial crisis was new regulation, which put stress tests on banks and their ability to survive, and they've largely worked. Yeah, I'm, I think that it's not about being pro or anti for me. Yeah. It's just about being a realist. And, and I think what we end up seeing isn't all of the above, Yeah, frankly. I think different, different jurisdictions are going to take different postures and introduce different rules, you know, let, like it or, or dislike it. You know, it's about dealing with the reality in front of us and continuing to, number one, work on Bitcoin and make Bitcoin more useful. And then number two, build exciting businesses um, with, you know, with the time and attention that we have, right? We've got, we've got an industry full of incredibly smart and dedicated and principled people building exciting businesses, whether it's on, on Bitcoin base chain or lightning or something else, um, you know, continuing to, uh, to use new products and, and stay open and excited about what this technology can do. You know, to, to me, I, I try to really, really aggressively like check myself and remind myself that, you know, imagine if, imagine if this was, you know, internet and, and right now it was 1994, right. You know, what, what would I, what would I say to myself if, if that, if I was Buy more to, internet, exactly, you know, buy more of it, but also use more of it, yeah. right? Like nobody had built, you know, nobody had built all of these sort of business, these, these internet enabled businesses yet. Um, and so the best was going to come, you know, you know, Facebook wasn't going to be founded for another 10 years. Google yeah. didn't exist yet. You know, Amazon had barely just gotten started. You know, th these were th the most important companies in the world had not been started. <laughs> it's crazy, really. You know, and so like, you know, ch you know, check your time preference privilege, bro. I always look back at Instagram selling for a billion dollars and think, Jesus. I remember the time when WhatsApp sold for 19 billion. I was like, wow, that's, you guys have done well. But the guys at Instagram sold for a billion. I mean... Didn't uh, didn't the Google guys have a meeting with Yahoo and they offered them a million for their original technology? I think so. Well, and then and then Snapchat got got offered and turned it down. Yeah, it's madness by madness. Facebook as well. 
There's a speak of podcast fatigue. Yeah. Do you listen? I have a podcast recommendation for okay. you. Do you listen to Acquired? No, I'll check it out. Bro. Hold on. Have they, is, did they just change their name or something? No. Uh, I think there's maybe a company that's become called Acquired. I'm sure I saw something on Twitter. That's possible. Yeah. These, and and it's, they're, they're shit coiners, to be, to be fair. But they're also awesome um, business historians. And they do like two to three to four hour deep dives. I think they do like one episode a month okay. on a different company. Um, and they do a really good history of a bunch of the companies that we just mentioned. I would definitely go and check that out. Okay, before we close out, a couple of topics. In terms of mining, looking forward... What do you want to look forward to this year? Because it's it's been a rough time for miners. I think, uh, obviously, I think it cut deeper than a lot expected. We've seen some massive companies in huge amounts of trouble, some refinances. That goes back into that whole fucking contagion, though, like people using um, uh, ASICs as collateral. collateral without that consideration when the price drops, the ASIC value drops, which is obviously an issue. But uh, is there, what are the reasons to be optimistic about mining? Um, I, you know, I, the more, the more time that I spend kind of looking forward right now on mining, Bitcoin's going to do what it's going to do. I think the machine efficiencies kind of are what they are right now. I don't think we're going to get way more efficient from here. Mm -hmm. Um, how can we creatively integrate into electric systems? So being able to discover a second revenue stream for miners, which is playing unique roles within energy systems. Riot does a good job of this. A bunch of the mining companies are thinking about this. We saw that Hive thing today. Yep. 100, Hive. 194 Bitcoin, was it? 184 Bitcoin in value mm -hmm. from shutting down? Exactly. So being able to play these unique roles within within energy systems is, is something that Bitcoin miners are uniquely positioned to do. So continuing to spend time thinking about what role a mining company can play when it relates to grid stability, when it relates to, you know, average price, when it relates to, to all of these different kind of core um, energy functions, introducing a mining company to that ecosystem is incredibly positive sum is what we've seen. And so looking at new creative use cases for that, um, what, what, um, what Jack and, and, uh, Stillmark invested in, in Africa around these stranded Grid, hydro gridless. mines, gridless, yeah. compute, thank you. Um, you know, stuff like that. I think that's all tremendously exciting. And I think that as time goes on, those types of unlocks and secondary revenue streams, in addition to the block reward and, and subsidy, um, or the transaction fee and block subsidy, like that's what gets me really fired up. And I think that that matters regardless of bear market, bull market, whatever. Like that, that's important to work on in every market cycle. What else are you looking forward to this year? Give me a, give me a zing to end with. Um, what am I looking forward to this year? I'm looking forward to Bitcoin being boring. Frankly, I think that I think that you know we talked about it at the beginning. How do you explain to someone new, you know, wh wh what's your what's your Bitcoin kind of elevator pitch? And the good news is, I have to spend less time explaining what Bitcoin is. Um, and and so you know the the sort of household nature of Bitcoin, it's it's getting from you know zero to one, one to ten, ten to one hundred. We're we're somewhere across that cycle now where. Maybe not everybody who needs Bitcoin is own is owning Bitcoin and using Bitcoin, but they've heard of it and they mm -hmm. know about it. And some of that value proposition is becoming part of the mainstream consciousness. And so what that means is that I can spend less time telling people what Bitcoin is and spend more time uh, telling them what Bitcoin does. Brilliant. Harry, I love you, man. I love you too. Uh, not sure we're going to see you next, but... 
whenever it is I look forward to it and thank you for doing this you are my favourite Bitcoin I love hanging out with you <laughs> you're too uh, kind keep doing your thing and yeah I'm sure we'll hang out sometime this year might be Miami we're gonna hang out more we're gonna hang out a, a lot this year is my prediction okay cool man uh, send people to grid where do we send them uh, I mean you can follow us at GRIID on Twitter um, or GRIID.com but but just follow follow me mostly um, Harry underscore Sudak on on Twitter, and that's where I spend my time. How do you pronounce your surname? Sudak. I've always pronounced it Sudak. Me too. And and you could also pronounce it lots of different ways. Yeah. I, I get I get all kinds, and I'm not in the. Where's cur- it from? Uh, my grandparents are from like Poland, Ukraine. Huh. Okay. Oh, by the way, have you been doing more on Twitter? Because that was one of your uh, things I, we spoke about. I've been doing more on Twitter. How's that go? Well, you you plant seeds in the bear market. All right. All right, man. All right. Thank you. We will see you soon. Yes, sir. Okay. What'd you make of that? Harry, man, what a legend. Do you know what? I can make a show with Harry. Every... Do you know what? I could just have a podcast called What Harry Did, and I just make shows with Harry Suddock. Man, the guy can't, always comes with absolute zingers. Now, as I mentioned in the intro, we're going to be recording with Harry in New York. We're going to be doing Bitcoin Book Club. We're going to be discussing Hail Mary. We're also going to be discussing the three-body problem, which, by the way, I'm halfway through and it's totally boring i'm going to be giving harry some shit about that but yeah we're going to be recording that in new york and also in new york we're going to be hosting a live stream of the rail bedford game that's going to be on the 14th on valentine's day 245 kickoff and we're going to be doing wbd live a live intimate show with jun seth that we're recording on thursday the 16th we'll probably be able to get jun seth to do a little sing for you as well now listen, if you've got any questions about this, anything else, please do drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Or if you want, join our Patreon and jump into the Discord server where Danny, Ben, and I are always hanging out. That is patreon.com forward slash whatbitcoindid. <laughs>